Hello, anybody there? Hi. Hey, good morning, Chloe. Good morning. Wonderful to hear from you. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you for having me. So, first of all, I want to congratulate you on this really awesome collection that you've put together. I was able to finish it this week, and I'm still sort of swirling and in, in kind of uh, processing a lot of these themes because it, it is such a an intricate work that uh, I, it, it's really going to stick with me for a while. But before we get to that, I'd like to ask you a little bit about where you're from, see if we could set the stage that way, if that's okay? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm originally from Wisconsin, kind of uh, mid to northern Wisconsin area, um, and currently live in Texas. Mm, okay. I guess you had mentioned in an interview that you you lived in a kind of rural space. Is that correct? Like, like what was the kind of landscape that you that you lived with? Uh, very rarely. So my parents um, lived in a rural, kind of very woody area outside of a very small town. So very far from any of the cities in Wisconsin, um, and very natural as far as the landscape. Mm. And there was this idea of of longing that I really appreciated in in the work that you that you put together. And I'm curious if you've always had certain ideas uh, from an early age. Was that something that you were concerned with earlier on, or did the landscape contribute to any of that? I think probably uh, a little of both. Um, I, like everyone in my family grew up vegetarian, so we were always concerned with kind of the natural world and sustainability. Um, and then I think also just growing up in the midst of nature um, was very influential in the way that I approach space and think about how humanity and people should be interconnected with space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you were younger, did you pick up writing at an early age? Was that something that was a part of you from the very beginning, or is this something that you find later in life? Um, definitely from an early age, uh, my parents are big readers, so I was always read to a lot, which probably influenced that. Um, but as early as like age three, my uh, parents still have like stories that I would tell my dad and he would like write down as <laughs> I was telling them and then he'd draw illustrations for them. So I was definitely a storyteller from young. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you actually picked this up and, and you continued on to, uh, to continue your education, right? In in writing as well as the environment it seemed like those two things were were sort of cemented in your mind from the very beginning right yeah definitely um and then I, my master of fine arts was kind of like a combined program where it was creative writing and environmental studies okay so what were some some big takeaways of the time like when you went into this this advancement of education what kind of new ideas i guess i should say really really stuck with you from that time period um, it's kind of, it's interesting. I think probably the MFA had less of an influence that I would have hoped on mm -hmm. me in a lot of ways. Um, but some things that kind of stuck out were actually, um, I was allowed to take a lot of classes in anthropology and in undergrad, I'd also had a focus on like folkloric studies. So taking those anthropology grad graduate courses, I think helped cement the idea of culture and nature being really like intertwined. You, you've been doing poetry as well. Is that correct? Or, or is his prose always been your primary output? Uh, prose is, I think I, I probably describe it as like prose is what I enjoy writing and poetry is kind of like, um, what I, what I often feel compelled to write. Mm, I see. So that, that's just one of those things that maybe you go back to in terms of 
I guess perhaps finding an output that is, that is more freeing. I guess I should say. Uh, do you, do you feel like prose is is something that has to be a little bit more mechanical and more thought out in a way? I think so. Um, it's definitely something I, I, as like an over editor, I'm also <laughs> like much more precise with the way that I edit and approach a piece of prose. So let, let's talk about the collection in particular, because there, there's so much that, that is happening in this, uh, in this collection. It really blows my mind because I think that you've, you've done it wonderfully to look at the intimate aspects of, of, what humans are going through as well as the the really cosmic scope of it and i really think that that's such a an incredible achievement because it, it pulls you in two different directions and it asks you to look both ways at the same time which i i really enjoyed can you tell me a bit about the the construction of of patterns of orbit and how you you arrive at this collection um, first, thank you so much for saying saying that. That's definitely something I'm constantly kind of battling at in this collection. I think um, the the construction took a very long time. The first story in the collection was written in 2010. The most recent one, like the last one I added, was finished in 2022. So it has a kind of huge scope. Um, and I thought very hard about like structurally how I wanted to kind of play with natural earth-based and space-based and how those things intermingle um so like ordering the collection was like writing a book in its own way completely just mm. kind of figuring out like how the pieces fit together um what kind of emotional tempo i wanted to go through the whole work um so that was that was a process and took a lot of arranging and rearranging and then rearranging again yeah, I can imagine because this is sort of the baffling thing about it. It there is obviously a very clear structure and and thematically everything is tying in, but there is there is an, an organic nature to this, or at least it feels that way. So I, I think uh that's one of the strengths of this and, and particularly when we're talking about the folklore of the piece. I mean I, I think that overall there there is a really strong thread of of, of folklore, even as you're going further into space, you know, and into sci-fi, that's kind of the things that I really enjoyed. And in particular, how you, how you worked with darkness, uh, and, and sort of the unknown and, and it did become kind of like an entity across several of these pieces. And I, I think if we could talk about the folklore aspect of of this collection and and how it's able to permeate through other genres and and break that mold um i think as somebody who's always been very interested in folklore um i'm i'm very compelled by the idea that uh at our kind of like most human we're very much storytellers and so folklore i think is interwoven very much into our culture, into the way we interact with the world, even if we don't call it that. So even like um, the space industry is very superstitious. They have all of these like things they do and like little actions. And it's very like interesting to me that even in this very technical field, they still have this basis in like storytelling and um, cultural kind of like artifacts almost in, in what they do. So that's like fascinating to me. Yeah, um, yeah and really really played into the work right and uh and it reminds me of something else that uh that i had been thinking about in the last couple of days which is the the idea of our protagonists being 
these people of science, these, these people who are curious and full of, of this sense of discovery, have you always been drawn to these folks as protagonists, the, the people who are kind of at the cutting edge of technology and science and, and almost that sense of, of wonder, you know, but on a, on a very technical level, you know, people of science? I think so. Um, when I was young, like I was interested in medicine and um, kind of like animals and plants very much. So I like got into reading like science, science texts. Um, and then as I kind of went along, like, I think understanding science and knowing that there's people who can understand it at a really fundamental level and work within it um, is really interesting to me. Uh, and it's something like I wish my mind was more uh, attuned to. Mm. So I think um, I think I've definitely always been drawn to that and find them great kind of protagonists because uh, it gives me a chance to really dig into and study whatever science uh, is being talked about, but it also gives me this venue of somebody who understands it intuitively and can speak about it within the story. Sure, sure. Uh, this is sort of a super superficial question, but did you have any aspiration of what kind of scientist you would be or what kind of researcher you would be when you were younger? Um, I was very interested in becoming like a doctor or something like that, or a herpetologist. So studying like uh, reptiles and amphibians, because mm. I, I really like toads and alligators. <laughs> <laughs> they are, they are full of mysteries, you know, <laughs> but uh, you know, that, that's sort of the incredible thing as I'm just kind of thinking back on some of the characters, as you mentioned, there is a contradiction in the way that a lot of these folks think and and you know as you say there are stories and there are there there are superstitions perhaps in in a lot of these works and i really enjoyed that contradiction in particular there was um uh there was a story here and i apologize it, it kind of the the titles of these stories are amazing <laughs> but i they're still so fresh in my mind that i'm like oh which one was it but um it was the the idea of blending superstition and and technology did you feel that that was at the forefront of how you were writing this or or was it something that organically arose from from you putting these things these stories together as a collection later on um i think that probably was in the back of my mind somewhere but more came out as i was putting the stories together and thinking about how they connected to one another mm, okay looking at science fiction in particular were were there some uh, references or works that you felt you were inspired by as you were putting together this work, or or maybe things that you experienced when you were younger in terms of of sci-fi works? Um, I think one of the big kind of like um, works that I always go back to in my head because it was so influential on me as a child is definitely the Alien series, um, mm -hmm. which I think uh, kind of influenced the way that I think about space and horror a lot. But on the other end of that is like the Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury, which I think um, was a very influential text in the way that Bradbury made space feel as much a living world as Earth did. So I wanted to really kind of have that as a, a centerpiece. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that because if if you could look at the DNA of both of those works there, there's definitely something that feels very, uh, very lived in. Right. You know, even in the initial mm -hmm. initial alien series as well, there, there's just such earthenness to space, which which is so, so interesting, uh, but so alive. And I think there is a workmanlike aspect to 
some of the characters, in particular the ones that you've written in space, the folks who are just going about their work, trying to do the best they can under the circumstances, and that's so human. And, and so I, I think it grounds us so well, uh, even when you're out in, in the middle of the cosmos, you know, and, and venturing <laughs> beyond. I, I was just really taken with the way that you were able to, to make it humane. Um, and in particular, mm-hmm. the, the jumpers was one of my favorites. I, I really appreciated that. And I don't want to get into the specifics of some of the stories, uh, because I, I think that we <laughs> might give some of the, the beauty of them away, but I'm curious of your love for the short form and, and how you've come to, I mean, it, this feels like, like it, this was very impressive how the characters, as well as the thematic ideas, as well as the setting and a lot of these elements were working sort of firing on all cylinders, um, you know, in the same direction. And I'm curious how you, you come to understand this form. Uh, how do you make it work for you? How does it make sense to you? Um, I think, so one, I love reading the short form. So I read a lot of short stories in Flash. I've always done that. So I think at some base level, probably I have um, an understanding of what works in a smaller piece. But I also, um, I write long and edit very short. So. Um, in my last collection, I had a story that's um, called uh, They're Coming For You. And it started as like, I wrote a 200 page novel and then I edited it down to a thousand word flash fiction piece. Oh, wow. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I really like to cut and cut and cut until I have what I think is the, like the crucial skeleton and heart of a piece. Mm. So it, it it is kind of in your imperative to trim away what what seems to be the the unnecessary things but do you think that kind of helps you with the world building and it it helps you just sort of visualize some things for your own peace of mind and then you say okay that's enough and then we'll we'll pull it away uh wherever it's unnecessary i think definitely because i think by by writing everything down to start with i have a very good grasp of like the uh dynamics of the world that i'm working in and like a character's history and past and as long as I have a sense of that, I hope that I, I can add it down to a way that that still comes through to the reader. Mm. Do you, re- do you recall, uh, which of these stories gave you the most pain? Which one was the most difficult to, to put together and why? Like, how, how did you go about solving that problem? If you can recall. Um, I think one of them, so I mentioned that the most recent story finished in 2022, um, it was accidental girls. And I originally came up with the, um, like the first line of the story, the title and the ending image almost like a decade ago. And like, it was just constantly a story in the back of my head that I'd come back to and I'd go like, okay, I think I've almost got it, but not quite. Um, so I kept like returning to that one. I think it was a story that was very much balanced on like time and our perception of it and how that influences the characters as well as like the overarching story. So I think I needed to actually age somewhat so that I'd understand the piece. Um, and so that one gave me a lot of trouble. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there's some ideas that, that you really have to sit with for a while. And sometimes your perception just has to catch up with the idea. Uh, I know that, there's a lot of work that mm-hmm. I, I feel of, of mine personally that if, if I look back, I'm like, I was not ready to tell this. <laughs> There's just no way. And, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of wonder <laughs> what kind of things in your life make you ready for that. Um, did, did you feel like uh, there, mm-hmm. there were massive things happening in your life that, that made you feel that way? Or it was just generally 
getting older that, that allowed you that that sort of distance? I think, uh, oh, in general, I think getting older, but probably um, I think the going through kind of the pandemic and just the feeling that it brought out in everyone of being somewhat disconnected probably helped with the feeling of that story, like not being able to make those kind of in-person connections with people anymore. Yeah. And that was such a powerful story, Accidental Girls. I, that was one, and, and I, <laughs> my poor wife, you know, she's sitting there as I'm, as I'm reading, and I have to stop and I have to take things in, right? So uh, that's, that's what I loved about this collection, <laughs> that it packs a punch. And so when I finished Accidental Girls, much like some of the other ones, I put the tablet down and I looked at my wife and I'm like, I just need a minute. <laughs> you know, I need to, I need to process because, because of how, how effective that ending was in terms of illustrating what you just mentioned. Um, this feeling of complete disconnect in particular with, with people that we should know really, really well and that we should have easy rapport with. And what happens? Why do we just completely reset or feel like we're so, you know, as you, you mentioned in some of these stories at complete ends of the universe <laughs> in terms of understanding. Um, and that was, that was so clever and, uh, and very moving. Uh, but that was one of the ones that I just had to get out there. It, it really felt like I needed to to sit with it. So I'll probably be going back and, and processing a bit more. Um, there wasn't a question there. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, but uh um let let's talk about um how you feel that that how did you feel that this was go going to work as you were putting it together if you could dabble a bit more on the structure of of these ideas. Uh in particular going across genres. This is this something that that you feel makes sense to you in 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 so many words, or, or is this a new idea for you? Because you've written some other collections as well in, in poetry. Does the genre crossing, genre bending, is that a part of how you write, or is this something that, that came together just for this collection? I think that's that's very natural to my writing in general, but I was a little more intentional with it in this collection, I think. Um I'm really interested in those kind of lines of genre and what makes something horror versus what makes something science fiction, because I think um, everything really like there's there's very soft edges, like it's easy to dip science fiction into horror. It's easy to dip um, kind of more literary, realistic fiction, swoop it over into the uncanny. Um, and I think that's really interesting to play with those lines. Um, I also think just like we all live in worlds that are very, very genre bending in their own ways. <laughs> like, um, you know, space where we're sending people to space where, um, all haunted by things. Like, I think that's very ten kind of like tangible to all of us that we, we are at the edges ourselves. Right. And, um, th this reminds me of another story, but I'll, I'll get to it in a moment. Uh, if we could talk for just a moment about, Collective Gravities, which was your previous short story collection. And let's talk about the timeline of when that one came out and how that process was like, and, and what sort of gifts did it offer you as you went into your second collection? If, if you could give me a bit of, of info on that, how that process was. 
Um, so I was definitely writing both of these collections at the same time. Um, the first story in Collective Gravities I wrote in 2010, the first story in Patterns I wrote in 2010. Mm. Um, so they were very like alongside each other, but I did have a distinct sense of which story belonged where because um, I think Patterns is very much like the um, the shat like the darker shadow to Collective Gravities, which I think is a slightly more um, hopeful and gentle book i think um mm. patterns leans a little more into like the horrific and kind of like apocalyptic senses mm -hmm. um so that kind of they played off of each other in interesting ways and i was able to kind of um define them in my head in clear ways uh collective gravities came out in 2020 uh which was not a great time to come out <laughs> as a book um so it gave me a lot of like okay if this book can do well i during like right in the middle of COVID, <laughs> i think i can probably understand and learn really well from it um that one was named uh one of the best books of the year by brooklyn rail and npr which i think was a big gift in that um i think it was helpful in getting patterns maybe a little more seen by people mm. because i could say like my previous book did x so i think that was really a wonderful um gift from the universe in itself mm. that's wonderful to hear and i'll definitely be picking that one up to just to see how they balance each other out i i think that really makes sense in terms of the it seems like there's another half there that that we need to to dig into so i'll be getting there as well but in terms of of producing the work and and working with somebody to get it out into the, into the world was that a difficult process for you or could you elaborate a bit on on working to get this manuscript ready to see the world um i think so one of the things that's been helpful and i've been lucky is that a lot of the stories were previously published so i've worked with a lot of editors really great literary magazines who helped um like kind of spot weaknesses or help me define the work a little more um and that definitely made it much more publication ready um and I sent it to kind of a couple of publishers who I really loved and have read the previous books that they put out and understood that they craft like beautiful looking books, which is important to me. Mm. Um, so when Baobab got back to me, um, I was really excited. They were, they got back to me relatively quickly. It was um, maybe maybe to other writers an obnoxiously easy process <laughs> that uh, that happened, um, but it felt very like kismet. Like I definitely sent it to the right place, um, mm. and they seemed really excited about it, which was wonderful. Yeah, and so speaking of the uh, the lit journal ecosystem, as as noticed on Twitter and in other spheres in the internet they seem to play a huge part in your life as you yourself are a co-editor or editor of one of the coolest named journals <laughs> ever. <laughs> and, and it really uh, celebrates not only the, I, I suppose your love for alien, but cotton xenomorph. If you could tell me a bit about your role there, how that started and, and really what you've learned and, and uh, what you're looking to do there. So I always have loved literary journals in like undergrad and grad school. I was, I worked at literary journals. Um, I found it like a great way to kind of get a sense of what people are writing and really just help my own editing, like see a piece through from start to finish kind of thing. Um, Cotton Xenomorph, uh, embarrassingly, came out of a Twitter meme where it was um, named the, the what is it, the fabric that you were wearing and the thing closest to you. So I was like, 
in cotton and my xenomorph statue was sitting next to me so i'm like cotton xenomorph and then <laughs> hannah cohen and um teo shannon both jumped on they're like we definitely work on that literary magazine so then we we jumped into the dms and we're like maybe we should make a literary magazine <laughs> so, oh that is so the coolest origin. thing ever <laughs> And one of the one of the great wonders of Twitter that you're just able to pick up and, and create these really powerful relationships with other other collaborators. Mm -hmm. uh, so how long has Cotton Xenomorph been going on? Um, we just I always get this wrong, but we just celebrated our fifth anniversary. So we're we're we think of it as we're entering first grade next year. Um, <laughs> So, so quite a, for the literary magazine, a, a good amount of time, which is a weird thing to think about. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Speaking of the causes that you're looking to highlight at, at the journal, can you share a bit more about that or what kind of work you're interested in, in reading? Um, uh, definitely one of our big things is that we're, we want diverse voices. We want new voices. Um, we're very, very careful with the pieces that we take and the language that they use. Um, and obviously we're, we're very against, um, anything that promotes kind of like othering or hate speech in any way. Mm -hmm. Uh, but on the more kind of like technical writing side, we're interested in pieces that do something new that we haven't like seen or felt has been well represented before. Mm -hmm. So for me, I read the fiction side, Hannah and Teo do more of the poetry side on fiction. I'm looking for flash pieces that are exploring genre in an interesting way, or um, maybe use perspective in a way that doesn't get enough love. Um, so mm -hmm. just something that's a little strange, a little new. Oh, that's awesome. That's wonderful to hear. And as we're talking about these these different genres and, and forms coming together, you mentioned in an interview that music is a, an integral part of the process as you're putting together your own work. Is there a Patterns of Orbit playlist or, or you know, some songs that that kind of helped you find the tone for the piece? Or is that is that just the Internet talking nonsense? Um, no, it, it definitely is. I find that. Um for if, obnoxious for anyone who lives with me i when i'm like writing a story i just listen to the same song on repeat like over and over um which is because i think like that gets my brain into the right kind of groove uh -huh. um for patterns i think um there are definitely a few works that were important um there's a song called witness by benjamin booker that was mm. i played a lot uh janelle monet's dirty computer album was a big influence on what mm. i was listening to that's a really wonderful way to look at it because i think that you you really need something to kind of help you steer in in some emotional way just so that you don't get lost in mm -hmm. sort of the logic or the mechanics of the story but i got a couple more questions to be mindful of your time um, but i'm curious what your uh, reading or experiencing right now that is inspiring you or helping you along to to get creative again, uh, whether it's a movie or or more music or uh, literary works. Um, I did just see the new John Wick, which was amazing. Um, <laughs> one of my poetry collections is a collection of John Wick poems, so I oh, always find awesome. inspiration. <laughs> Um, I'm also, uh, really looking forward to reading the new Victor Laval and Kelly Link books. So those are, I've kind of cleared out my reading pile so that I can dive into that. Mm. Um, I did just read Juan Martinez's, uh, Extended Stay, which was an incredible book. Uh, so I'd like to like 
tell everyone to read it uh, with the caveat that it's uh, an intense read. So mm. take it easy on yourself. <laughs> take breaks, take a minute. <laughs> yeah. In terms of process and writing rituals, if there is such a thing, uh, how does that process work for you when you're when you're doing your creative work, what form does it take? Or are there any established patterns in there? Uh, I think so. I think a lot of people have um, kind of the structure of they sit down and they work, um, which I think is amazing for those people. And I'm jealous that they they're able to do that. For me, I really like um, I have to write when I have to write. And when I don't have to write, I shouldn't write at all. <laughs> Um, so it's very like, uh, fits and starts, I think kind of, or bursts and starts rather. Um, and, uh, I also just like, I can probably write anywhere. Um, so that's not really structured, but I do like to have coffee. I like to have like a, a wake mind when I'm writing. Mm. So what's on the horizon for you now that this collection is out into the world? Is there more, um, more works geared toward, uh, I guess, short forms like uh like another collection or are you diving into poetry or what is on the agenda so right now i'm working on a kind of interconnected collection of stories that's much more specifically focused on the space industry going from um kind of the moon mission all the way to like a future imagined mars mission um, and then I've also been working for the past 15 years on a novel about basketball players, which, uh, oh, wow. is, is my nemesis. <laughs> so. <laughs> Can we talk about that for a moment? I'm, I'm curious yeah. of basketball and what role does it play in your life? Um, I'm a huge basketball fan and have been since I was young. Um, Rashid Wallace is my all time favorite basketball player. Um, which gives you a sense of maybe what era I grew up in. Uh, and I just, I think it's as far as a sport goes, I think basketball is one of the most like um, it's, it's akin to writing in my mind in that mm. I think the flow of a basketball game is very close to the flow of a story often. Mm. Well, that's wonderful to hear. We'll have to be watching some more basketball games than uh, here in my house just to <laughs> see if they can help me get in the groove. Um, but lastly, I've been asking folks this a lot recently, and because you're doing such wonderful work and, and work of, uh, of such high quality that I'm curious how you quantify your success as you're working on these pieces and, and what does, what kind of ideas about success have solidified in your mind that make your writing, uh, constant? Um, I think that's that's an interesting question. I think uh, for me, what I kind of think is a successful piece is um, a piece that I take from start to finish. So I have a lot of pieces that I maybe started and just like put them away for a long time. So I think like finishing a piece is, is tangential to kind of like my idea of what is a successful piece. Um, and by finishing, I mean also like going through my entire editing process. Mm. Uh, but like I also... Uh, I like to reread my stories and actually like when they, they hit the points where I laugh at the same jokes that I left at when I was writing them, or I still like get a sense of, okay, I'm still saddened by this aspect of the story. I'm like, okay, if after having read it, you know, 8,000 times in editing, if I still find that funny, it's probably a joke that works sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that kind of is success for me that I still enjoy it. Oh, that's wonderful to hear.
And uh, I guess I should say that's a beautiful note to end on as well. But I want to thank you, Chloe, so much for the work that you're putting out into the world. I truly am now a fan of your work and will be pursuing that previous collection because it's one of those really fascinating things that every now and then you find a work that really teaches you how one should work in genre, that, that it is a, an opportunity to pursue the most human of our of our afflictions and uh i was just really taken by the way that you went about doing that in patterns of orbit and thanks for making me wonder again i think that was the the really exciting thing it was just a really really beautiful work i really wish you the best on whatever it is that you want to pursue and uh what the next chapter holds thank you so much um it was really wonderful having this conversation and it's uh very like Uh, wonderful to hear that thank you so much oh that's awesome well i will be in touch on the internet and so uh talk to you real soon thank you (laughs) Bye. bye